Wednesday, November 21st, 2012, episode 26 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Episode 26 of the Football Nation Today podcast, hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer, available every Wednesday for your listening consumption on footballnation.com and for download in the iTunes store. Please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcast and the other shows here on footballnation.com in the iTunes store. If you've yet to do so, it is a special edition of the Football Nation Today podcast, not just because we are coming at you on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, one of the more infamous travel days of the year. And yes, I think that is the appropriate word to describe it. Those of you are doing battle right now on freeways across the country, my uh, thoughts and well wishes go out to you. Uh, Also, of course, Thanksgiving is tomorrow. We hope all of you who are able to uh, have a nice, relaxing, safe Thanksgiving with your friends, family, and loved ones. But if you feel the need to step away from the fam for a little bit, you're welcome here with the Football Nation Today podcast. It is also a special edition of the show because week 12 of the NFL season begins early. We have three Thursday night games, Lions, Cowboys, and then the Patriots and Jets primetime special on NBC tomorrow night. We'll take a look at that games and at, th- at those games, and as we always do, take a look at the biggest stories across the league over the past week. Two things I want to focus on specifically today. They will come in our second down and fourth down segments. In the second down segment, we take a look at the biggest off-field NFL stories of the week, and this week, it's the Bears and 49ers Monday night game. Not necessarily the game itself, but the strategies employed by both teams in that game. The 49ers had their backup quarterback. The Bears had their backup quarterback. One team threw early. One team did not. One team scored 32 points. One team only scored seven points. Hmm. I wonder which team did which. We'll talk about that. What I think it says about the overall direction of the league in the second down segment. Then the fourth down segment. We wrap up the show with the Remarant. I take a look at the Ed Reed suspension. And the fact that that suspension was rescinded on Tuesday. Reed, of course, was suspended one game by the league for consistently violating a policy in terms of legal hits, headshots, etc. But as I mentioned, the suspension was rescinded. So what does that say about the power or lack thereof of the disciplinary committee in the league Uh, from Bounty Gate? Now this, it seems like the league is losing some of its bite in terms of disciplinary power. And uh, also, what does that say in general about the uh, way that these headshots and illegal hits are being uh, disciplined throughout the week? We'll talk about those stories and more, but we lead it all off with the first down segment, looking at the biggest on-field NFL stories of the week. That's next on Football Nation Today. Don't go anywhere. So a couple of things I want to focus on this week in the first down segment. Uh, every week we try to come up with a new theme. Uh, if we don't have an interview, if it's just me, we like to come up with a theme. And this week, five things that we learned from week 11 in the NFL. And five things, you know, some of these things are apply to week 12 and beyond. So we like to uh, service everybody here on uh, the first down segment. And point numero uno. I'd like to address, and this is one of those points that uh, speaks to what we saw in Week 11 and also, of course, speaks to what we'll see in Week 12 and upcoming weeks in the NFL, and that is teams that simply do not know how to win. I'm looking at you, Jacksonville, Cleveland, and Carolina. All of these teams are atrocious. 
All of them held late leads over better teams on Sunday, and all of these teams, of course, squandered their leads and lost the game. I start off with the Jaguars, with Chad Henney under center. Blaine Gabbard exited that game with an injury. Henney took over and put up 37 points against Houston, who, coming into the week, were thought to be unequivocally the best team in the AFC. Ah, uh, but the Jaguars held the lead, and they put up 37 points on the vaunted Texans defense. But of course, the Texans came back to tie the game, sent it into overtime. Jacksonville cornerback Damian Cox intercepted a pass in OT, but then the Jaguars promptly went four and out, leaving the ball at midfield. Yeah, Mike Malarkey chose not to punt with like a fourth and ten at midfield, leaving Matt Schaub and the Texans a short field. And Schaub, who threw for over 500 yards on the day, connected with Andre Johnson for the game-winning touchdown. Texans win, even though, again, their defense gave up 37 points to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, the Cleveland Browns took a late lead over Dallas in Dallas. And they actually could have taken that lead earlier. Uh, they forced a turnover, then drove the ball down the field late in the fourth quarter. They, of course, were stuffed at the goal line after Brandon Whedon threw what Dan Deardorff described as a terrible pass uh, way over the head of the tight end. The tight end was going uh, to one far side of the end zone, the uh, the left side of the end zone, and Whedon like, just airmailed the ball it was completely over his head. The tight end had no chance at it. Uh, so Dallas gets the ball back, and all they need is a first down or two. Game's over. The time is on their side. But they can't move the ball at all. Uh, no imaginary play calling. Simple runs up the middle. The Browns defense expects it. Stuffs them and stuffs them hard. Dallas punts the ball away. Cleveland gets a short field. Whedon then finds tight end Benjamin Watson in the end zone for the game-leading touchdown. Roughly one minute and change to play. Dallas gets the ball back. And then Cleveland promptly commits a couple of penalties, including a big pass interference. Dallas ties the game with a field goal and winds up winning the game in OT. So, there you go. The Browns squandered one opportunity, but because the Cowboys are relatively inept, they got the ball back. Whedon found Watson for a touchdown late, but the Browns' defense could not hold, committing several penalties while they were at it. Uh, the Panthers and Cam Newton, what a rough season they've had, right? Well... They had a big lead over divisional foe, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, on Sunday. They were ahead by eight points. But late in that ballgame, Josh Freeman uh, thread, uh, threaded the needle, as they say, and found Vincent Jackson in the end zone, then hit him again for a two-point conversion. Uh, yeah, two-point conversion. Vincent Jackson is the number one target on Tampa Bay. Yeah, just don't cover him. Lead him leave him wide open there. Good game plan, Carolina. That's really good. We like to see that. And then in overtime, Freeman connected with tight end Dallas Clark for the game-winning touchdown. There are plenty of teams around the NFL that on a weekly basis snap defeat, uh, take defeat, excuse me, from the jaws of victory. And uh, the Jaguars, Browns, and Panthers are the biggest examples of that. Uh, these teams are not very good, and that was obvious this past Sunday. And they're not very good, partially because, and this is a cliche, but it's true, they just don't know how to win. They get a lead late, and they, figuratively speaking, poop their pants. As the Browns' defense did on Sunday. As the Jaguars' defense did on Sunday. As the Panthers' defense did on Sunday. It's not necessarily just about the offenses. A lot of times, these defenses, a minute to go, can't protect a lead. They fall over themselves to give the lead away, as the Browns' defense did on Sunday against Dallas. Uh, these are teams that simply do not know how to win, and even when they have late leads against better competition, could be their signature victory on an otherwise dismal season. Uh, the game slips away from them because they, well, give it away.
Point number two that applies to last week, but this more applies to upcoming weeks in the NFL. Andrew Luck is my golden boy. I think listeners of the show know that. I am a huge Luck fan. Um, even though RG3 is more flashy, I think Andrew Luck is the guy out of this year's rookie class. Uh, but Luck was horrible. Uh, against the Patriots on Sunday, he got walloped. He threw three interceptions. The Colts uh, were walloped, I should say, 59-24, to a 35-point defeat. Uh, the Patriots, after getting torched in Indianapolis's first two drives, uh, made defensive adjustments. Bill Belichick seemed to take a more active role with the defense. He pulled Kyle Arrington, who committed a horrific pass interference on the first drive, uh, put in Alfonso, uh, Alfonso Dennard, who had a pick six later in the game. And the Patriots, the biggest adjustment they made on defense was they actually blitzed the quarterback. Yeah, they actually generated pressure against Andrew Luck. And Luck didn't know how to respond to the pressure, made a couple of really bad throws. Aqib Tlaib had a pick six as well. Um, but that's expected from a rookie quarterback. Going on the road, a tough place to play, facing a lot of pressure from the defense. Luck made mistakes. He was bad on Sunday. And he'll get better as time wears on, though. He'll get tighter as time wears on. He'll finish the year with 20 interceptions, and he'll realize he needs to get tighter. He needs to get better against the rush. I mean, look at Peyton Manning's numbers in his rookie season. Not so great. The reason why Andrew Luck will be fine, and while his game last Sunday against the Patriots is just a uh, blimp, is just a blimp, is just a uh, is just a blimp on the radar screen, as they say, is because Luck has shown me he possesses the intangibles that are necessary to win at quarterback in this league. Uh, he has shown me he can lead a team to victory. He composes himself late in close games. Uh, I don't need to go through the amount of late game drives Luck has orchestrated this season for the Colts. And yeah, the schedule has partially helped. I mean, the Colts were the worst team in the league last year, so they have one of the easier schedules. They face Buffalo at home this week. I would expect Luck to rebound. So yeah, the critics can say Luck and the Colts haven't really played anybody. And when they did play somebody on the road, the Patriots last Sunday, they got destroyed. Luck got destroyed. I would say, yes, you're right. But I never said Luck was the greatest. I never said the Colts are the greatest. All I said was, Andrew Luck has shown me enough in his rookie season to show that he is going to be a very good, if not elite, quarterback in this league. And I still stick by my statements a couple weeks ago where I said, if I had to win a game tonight, Andrew Luck would be closer to the top of my list than the bottom of my list in terms of quarterbacks I would select. I still stand by those statements because Andrew Luck just 11 weeks into his NFL career, has already shown the ability to compose himself in late-game situations and lead his team to tie or to win. He has already shown the ability to do that in multiple occasions. And not every quarterback in the league has that ability. Luck has it. And that's why, ultimately, he will be fine. His dismal performance against the Patriots this Sunday, just a blimp on the, metaphor on the metaphorical radar screen. Uh, the Eagles, of course, though, are not fine. They lost again last week to Washington, 31-6. to They've lost six consecutive games. They're now 3-7 and on the year. RG3 had a terrific game, going 14-15, four TD passes, including a 61-yarder. What a beauty that was. He ran 11 times for 85 yards. One of the most, if not the most, dynamic player in the game right now. Um, the Redskins and RG3 ate up the Eagles. Uh, Nick Foles started due to Mike Vick's injury, did not play well, threw a couple of bad interceptions, but Foles should continue to start. 
the future in Philadelphia is not Mike Vick, it is Nick Foles. Why not get a jump start on the future by starting the kid? And Andy Reid, where does that leave us with Reid? Well, he stated this week he will not resign this season. He will stick it out. He will not quit. This makes it difficult for the Eagles as Reid has been there for 14 years and you don't want to unceremoniously can him, which is what it would be now if the Eagles fired Reid after he said he does not intend to leave this season. Um, so the Eagles really have no choice, unfortunately for them, but to stick it out with Reed for a couple of more weeks. Uh, and it remains awfully tough to watch this team further deteriorate, deteriorate on a weekly basis. But as I said, it, it seems like the Eagles are just going to have to stick it out with Andy Reed. And I guess ultimately that's not the worst thing in the world. You're not going to find your next head coach to play out the string this season. Uh, the Eagles next year hopefully recognize the need to make full sale changes not just with the coaching staff, with the roster as well. And I'm not just talking about Vic. I'm talking about that defensive unit. I'm talking about some guys on that offensive unit, uh, Deshaun Jackson, all these guys who have uh, bitched about their contracts in recent years. They now have their contracts. Deshaun Jackson, Sean McCoy, they've all been paid. And what are they doing? Absolutely nothing. Diddly squat, as we say. we got to keep it clean here in Football Nation today. So the Eagles need to clean house after the season. Reed's going to stick around till the end of this season, so I guess that cleaning will largely have to wait. Uh, but they should at least try to accelerate the process as much as they can for the remainder of t for the remainder of 2012. And that does mean starting Nick Foles at QB instead of Vic. A couple more points here on first down, then we'll get to the second down segment. Uh, the Ben Roethlisberger injury, I learned this this week, and this again applies to future weeks, uh, will have a major impact on the AFC playoff picture. And by major impact, I mean major impact. I uh, said it with emphasis there, so you know I mean business. Uh, Roethlisberger has a separated shoulder and a serious rib injury. The Steelers were left with Byron Leftwich on Sunday night, who has not won a game as a starter since 2006. Is that what I heard on the telecast? Uh, he's one of the longest active losing streaks in the game. Uh, and the Steelers, of course, put up a mere 10 points on Sunday night. Uh, Leftwich, who will not play on Sunday... The Steelers signed former Pats backup quarterback Brian Hoyer. Uh, unclear as of this recording whether Hoyer or Charlie Batch will be under center to start on Sunday. But whatever the case, it will not be Leftwich, who was clearly uh, banged up at the end of that game. Uh, he was bouncing passes several yards in front of receivers. And I thought it was quite strange that he was left in the game. Uh, nobody even consulted him on the sidelines. Uh, Tomlin didn't go up to him. Trainers didn't go up to him. They just let Leftwich be, and he continued to bounce passes several yards in front of receivers. Um, but the thing about that game is the Ravens didn't play well at all. I mean, they didn't even score an offensive touchdown. Their only touchdown came on a Jacoby Jones punt return. And they still went on the road without scoring an offensive touchdown. Uh, the Ravens did not play a good game on Sunday, and they still beat the Steelers. And what that means is, it means the Ravens are firmly cemented now in the number two seed in the AFC. Uh, they play Pittsburgh again in two more weeks. You have to assume Roethlisberger won't be back for that. That game will be in Baltimore, where the Ravens' offense is much better than it is on the road. That looks to be a win. The Ravens currently only have two losses, a one-game lead over Denver, really a two-game lead over the Patriots since they uh, beat them earlier in the season. Um, the Roethlisberger injury, it seems as if now, uh, you know, the Ravens are going to be firmly cemented in that number two seed in the AFC, which means they and the Houston Texans will have a first-round bye. 
Uh, Denver and New England will both probably have to play wild card weekend. Um, and the Steelers, you know, right now they're that fifth seed, but Indianapolis has a we relatively weak schedule. It's a relatively weak AFC South this year. Steelers could fall all the way down to the sixth seed behind Indianapolis if they're not careful. So I think the Roethlisberger injury will have a major, major impact on the AFC standings. We already saw that this Sunday. The Ravens didn't play well at all. They stunk, frankly, especially on offense, and they still won in Pittsburgh. The Jets did beat the Rams on Sunday 28-7, but they remain a sub-500 football team. They remain mediocre, and I'm here to tell you the Jets aren't mediocre because they talk a lot. They're mediocre because they're, well, just mediocre. Uh, look, heading into that Rams game, all hell was breaking loose in the Meadowlands. He had players calling out Tim Tebow, saying Tebow isn't fit to take this job. You had them praising Sanchez, but even their praise of Sanchez had some bite. You know, some said, well, Mark's our guy because we have no other choice. All right, that's <laughs> with friends like that. Who needs enemies? But then you had guys like Sean Green coming out and uh, defending Tebow and saying, hey, you know, maybe we got to change it up because what we have ain't working. So the Jets are running their gut, flapping their gums like you wouldn't believe heading into Sunday's game. They played maybe their best game of the year. That should tell you right there. There is little to no correlation between how the Jets act during the week and how they play on Sundays. The reason why the Jets play the way they do on Sundays is because they don't have a very good roster, especially on offense. The defense is still pretty good. Statistically, they're in the middle of the pack on defense. The secondary has been fine without Darrell Rivas. Antonio Cromartie's really blossomed. He's had a fantastic season taking over that number one cornerback position. We know that Rex Ryan is one of the top defensive minds in the game. Uh, but in this league, of course, we'll talk about this more in the second down segment, you need to play offense to win. You need to throw the ball effectively to win. And the Jets do not do that, and they are not willing to do that. Uh, they are insistent on having this running back-based offense without a real running back. Uh, Sean Green, Bilal Powell, uh, not real number one running backs. Uh, so they are insistent on having this running back-based offense where they hand it off 30 times a game, and they don't really have a number one running back to turn to. So that leaves Sanchez in a lot of third and long situations. And Sanchez has not improved over his four years in the league. Uh, in a lot of cases, he's regressed, as we talked about before on the show. And Sanchez isn't fit to convert those third and longs. So the result is a lot of three and outs, miscommunications, frustrations, etc. Uh, so the reason why the Jets are two games below 500 is not because they talk a lot. It's because they're mediocre on offense. Uh, and refuse to play the kind of offensive football that wins in this league, and they don't have really the personnel to play the kind of offensive football that wins in this league. If the Jets handled the handled the media like the Patriots do, uh, they would not be seven and three instead of four and six. It, it just it's their roster, not their talking. Uh, however, their talking, I gotta say, is a mighty entertaining slide a, a sideshow. Uh, Bart Hubbock, Jets writer for the New York Post. Uh, narrated Bart Scott's quote-unquote media mutiny after the win against St. Louis. Um, I'm not sure Bart exactly knows what the word mutiny means. I think he meant media boycott, but nonetheless, uh, here are these tweets from Hubbock, and, and they're fantastic, and this will lead us to the second down segment. Uh, Bart Scott is leading a media mutiny by the Jets' defense in the locker room. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Hubbock continues. Bart Scott is ordering every defensive player to say nothing but both teams played hard. Threatening any that don't. 
Thankfully, Jeremiah Bell isn't participating in Bart Scott's foolishness. A true pro. A true pro. Scott yells at Brian Thomas for breaking the boycott, calling him an MFing sellout. Jeremiah Bell tells Scott, stop it. Just stop it. And Hubbock concludes his narration by tweeting, now that his boycott has flopped, Bart Scott is talking openly and calmly to the media. What a team this is. <laughs> ah, it's a slideshow, and it's a money entertaining slide, uh, sideshow, and it makes the Jets look awfully bad, but it is not the reason why they're 4-6. and six. Not even close to it. Second down segment, the biggest off-field NFL story of the week. And this week, we're using the Monday night game between the Bears and 49ers as a jumping-off point to what wins in this league. Of course, on Monday night football, we saw the battle of the backups. Both QBs out with concussions. It was Colin Kaepernick for the Niners, Jason Campbell for the Bears. Two backup QBs. One was allowed to throw the ball early, and one tried to establish the run early. One team scored 32 points. The other team scored 7 points. Guess which team scored 32? The team that allowed its quarterback to throw. Guess which team scored 7? The team that tried to establish the run with its quarterback. You have to throw the ball to win in this league. And Jim Harbaugh had the right game plan. I give Coach Harbaugh a lot of credit. He had a rookie quarterback in there. And Colin Kaepernick, someone who was not taking a lot of reps with the first string offense. Someone who primarily has been a wildcat weapon this year. And Harbaugh threw all that to the side. He let Kaepernick throw the football. And it paid off incredible and it paid off incredibly well for him. He did the same thing against New Orleans last postseason. Remember, I thought it was the best playoff game all year. That divisional round game between the Saints and 49ers, they went back and forth in the second half. Alex Smith matched Drew Brees point for point. And that's Alex Smith, who's not a great quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. But Harbaugh recognized, look, we're not going to beat Drew Brees in the Saints. By handing off the ball 30 times. We're not going to beat them that way. The way we're going to beat them is by trying to score. Because they are going to score. Our defense is good, but it's not good enough to shut down Drew Brees, one of the best quarterbacks in the game today. We have to match the Saints point for point. And we're not going to do that by establishing the run. And running it up the middle. Slamming it right into the gut of the defense. So Harbaugh unleashed Smith. And Smith matched Breeze point for point, and the 49ers actually won that game. Harbaugh had the right game plan then, and he had the right game plan Monday night with his backup rookie, Colin Kaepernick, under center. Teams don't win games in this league by handing it off 35 times. The 49ers were not going to win on Monday night by handing it off 35 times against the Bears' defense, even if your running back is Frank Gore. That's not how you're going to win. Gore is a great running back. And he run the ball, and he ran the ball quite a bit late when the 49ers established their lead. But if in the first drive in the first quarter, Gore was handed the ball and was told to run right into the teeth of that Bears defense, right up to Erlacher and Lance Briggs, what would happen? A lot of three and outs. Handing it off as early and often as the Bears did on Monday night as offensive coordinator Mike Tice instructed Campbell to do is weak-ass, scaredy-cat coaching. It really is. You are not going to win by running it up the middle against Navarro Bowman, Patrick Willis, and that San Francisco defensive line. It's not going to happen. You're going to get stuffed, as the Bears did, and they only scored seven points. 
Let's look at the first San Francisco drive. First play out of the gate. Eight-yard pass to Mario Manningham. 15-yard penalty on Chicago, so ultimately a 23-yard gain. That's another advantage. Throw the football. Defensive backs can't touch receivers anymore without getting a flag thrown on them. So throw the ball. You're going to get a penalty probably. That's what happened. 23-yard gain. Then a run to Gore. Then a 22-yard pass to Vernon Davis. Another run to Gore, another 12-yard pass to Davis. Run to Kendall Hunter, another pass to Kyle Williams, sets up a field goal. Second drive, 57-yard pass to Kyle Williams, then a touchdown pass to Davis in the red zone. The 49ers came out throwing, they threw often, and they put up 32 points. And then, once they had a firm lead in the second half, they ran the ball with Gore. The Bears' defense was back. They weren't all huddled up against the line, expecting the run as the Niners were all night. And Gore ran the ball. He actually ran the ball more than Kaepernick threw at the ball at the end of the day. But that's not how the game started. Jim Harbaugh opened up his playbook in the first quarter, in the first half, and it paid off incredibly well for the Niners. Conversely, Mike Tyson, the Bears, didn't do that. First Bears drive. Run, Forte, short gain. Run, Forte, short gain. Third down, sack, loss of 10. You know, second Bears drive. They do get first two downs. Uh, two first downs, then they run on second and 10, setting up third and nine, which led to an incomplete short pass to Forte. You cannot win in this league by running the balls 30 times per game into the teeth of a defense, especially a defense like San Francisco's. You just can't do it. You can't run on first down, run on second down, and set up third and eight for your backup quarterback. He's not going to convert it. Jim Harbaugh showed me on Monday night why he is a great coach. And the Bears showed me why they are not a great team. Because they do not have the vision to match up with Atlanta, San Francisco, Green Bay, or even the Giants. The Bears don't have that vision. Jim Harbaugh has it. You have to throw the football in this league. You are not going to win handing the ball off 35 times to Matt Forte so he can run it right into the gut of the San Francisco defense. Run it right to Patrick Willis. No, that's not a recipe for success. And then you set up third and eight for Jason Campbell. Defense knows the pass is coming. They're going to blitz, and it's going to result in a sack or an incomplete pass or an interception. Something bad. You win in this league by throwing the football. I don't care who your quarterback is. It could be Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick. Doesn't matter. You open up the playbook, stretch out the field. You do not win in this league by running the ball up the middle 30 times per game which Mike Tyson and the Bears were insisting on doing on Monday night, and as a result, they only scored seven points. The Bears do not have the coaching, they do not have the imagination to stack up against the NFC's elite. And they showed why on Monday night in the battle of the backup QBs. Heading into our third down segment, listeners of the show know this is the big up slowdown segment. I say a statement and then express my agreement or disagreement with it by saying big up or slow down. Question one, the Green Bay Packers beat the Lions 24-20 to on Sunday. Are they now favorites once again in the NFC? I say big up. Yes, they are. Uh, Aaron Rodgers found Randall Cobb late for a touchdown on Sunday. But the most impressive facet of the game from Green Bay's perspective was uh, how well their defense played and how much their defense has improved from the beginning of the season under Dom Capers. They're now 16th in defense, middle of the pack, which with that offense is really all you need to be. They played without Clay Matthews and Charles Woodson last week. They started six rookies, and they played quite well. 
on the road against Detroit. Now they have a big game against the Giants this week, and it's a huge game for the Giants as well. The Giants' next three games, uh, not counting the Green Bay one, are against Washington, New Orleans, and Atlanta. The Giants, of course, have lost two consecutive games. Eli Manning has struggled in those games, but the whole team has struggled. The offensive line has struggled. The defense has struggled. That secondary has major problems, which I will expect Rodgers and the Packers to exploit. Uh, that is a big game in the NFC. Two teams that I would still consider favorites in the conference. In the conference. And Green Bay, most certainly, especially after their win this Sunday against Detroit, has catapulted back up to the top of the NFC. They're 7-3, and three, and we all know they should very well be 8-2. and two. Thanks, replacement refs. Now, Rob Gronkowski broke his forearm on Sunday. He will be out four to six weeks. Big up or slow down? Should Rob Gronkowski have been in there on the PAT? Of course, uh, Colts safety Sergio Brown, formerly Patriots safety Sergio Brown, uh, crashed the line and somehow broke Gronkowski's forearm on the PAT. Now, many across the league, always eager for a chance to pounce on Bill Belichick, say, oh, that's karma. Belichick leaves his starters in and 30-plus point blowouts. That's what you get. See, you leave Gronkowski in there and a 35-point blowout. It's karma. You deserve it. Well, I'm going to actually disagree there, and I'm going to say, big up. Yes, Gronkowski should have been in there on that PAT. It is not karma on Bill Belichick that Gronkowski is now out four to six weeks. Now, if Gronkowski injured his forearm blocking on Shane Vereen's touchdown run late in the fourth quarter that set up that PAT, then I would maybe agree with those people and say, yeah, you know what? Gronk shouldn't have been in there. What's he doing blocking in a 30-plus point game? But he actually wasn't in there blocking for Vereen. He was pulled. He came back for the PAT. I'll get to that in a minute. But Gronkowski didn't injure himself, catching his, catching his second touchdown or blocking on Vereen's touchdown run. No, he injured himself on a PAT. If Tom Brady was knocked out of that game with a concussion in the fourth quarter, I would have been right there with everyone else and said, well, that's karma. I mean, what are you doing leaving Tom Brady, your franchise quarterback, in there in a 30-plus point blowout? What are you doing? That would have been karma if Brady was knocked out. But he wasn't. And Gronkowski wasn't knocked out during an actual play. He was knocked out on a PAT. Let me ask you folks this question. How many times have you heard of somebody somebody getting a PAT? I'll tell you. The answer is one. And that one example is Rob Gronkowski. Uh, it is the safest play in the NFL next to the victory formation, unless you're facing Greg Schiano. Uh, and you ask everybody who's coached in the league, played in the league, they're unanimous in saying you can only dress 45 guys. You typically only have one PAT team. That's why Gronkowski was in there. It is the safest formation. It is the safest play in the league. It's like the victory formation, as I said. You have never before heard of a player hurting himself on a PAT except Rob Gronkowski. If Brady got knocked out leading that final touchdown drive when the Pats were already up, you know, 28, whatever, how many points it was, I would say, yeah, all right, that's karma. What's Brady doing in there? But Gronkowski was hurt on a PAT. That never happens. And everyone who's played in the league, coached in the league, is unanimous in saying, that's just bad luck. That's not bad karma. 
Big up or slow down? Do I like the Lions and Cowboys playing on Thanksgiving? Do I enjoy watching the Lions at 12.30 each and every Thanksgiving day? Big up or slow down? I'm going to give you a big fat slow down here. The Lions play the Texans this uh, this week. The Cowboys play the Redskins. RG3 on national TV. That'll be fun to watch. The Lions, though, eh, not so much. I mean, we do get to see Megatron. That's always exciting. Uh, but, man, the Lions bore me to tears. They really do. They bore me to tears. How many times have they been good over the past 20 years? Twice? Three times? If that? Now, you know, I'm sure the Lions play on Thanksgiving every week because it's a favor the NFL does to the Ford family. It's a true national game. I get all that. I get its tradition. They get a big home game. It's a pure national TV TV game for a team like the Lions who don't receive a lot of exposure. So I get why they do it. And, 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 and it's not the worst thing in the world. I'll watch on Thursday like every other football fan. And the league will never change it because why would they change it? They don't suffer in the ratings. So why upset the Ford family when you don't have to? I, I get it will never be changed. But I'm simply saying, I don't enjoy watching the Lions play every Thanksgiving. I don't. I mean, wouldn't you rather see a team in playoff contention? I know I would. So yeah, I understand. It's not going to get changed. The league has no incentive to change it. It's not the worst thing in the world. It's still football. I, I get that. I'm not saying it's the worst thing in the world. I'm not saying we should all openly pick it outside of Ford's Field on Thursday and, and campaign for the game to be changed. I'm not saying do any of that. I'm just stating my opinion. Do I like watching the Lions play every Thanksgiving when they've been good like twice over the past 20 years? And the answer is no, I don't. I would rather see a more exciting, entertaining, oh, I don't know, competitive team. So, no. If given a choice, I would rather someone else besides the Lions play each and every Thanksgiving. And Sam goes for the Cowboys, too. You all know how I feel about the Cowboys and the undeserving attention they receive nationally. We close out the show, as we always do, in style with the Reamer rant. This week it has to do with the Ed Reed suspension, or should I say non-suspension. Reed was suspended for one game this week due to repeated hits to opponents' heads. He had an egregious hit on Emmanuel Sanders of the Steelers on Sunday night, and he was suspended on Monday due to repeated hits to opponents' heads, illegal hits in today's NFL. Now, Reed repealed the suspension and won, uh, and won his appeal. I should say he appealed the suspension and won his appeal. So this is interesting. I said this at the top of the show. The league seems to have a problem nowadays enforcing a lot of its punishments, which is an issue. I mean, Bounty Gate, the season's more than halfway over, well more than halfway over, and we don't have a resolution there. We probably will not have a definitive revolution, uh, resolution until after the season. So what happened there? Big Bad Roger Goodell comes in with the iron fist, Jonathan Vilma and some of the Saints players appeal that decision, and Vilma's still playing, everyone's still playing, and they're still in court today, deciding what to do, and the season is entering its 12th week. Uh, Ed Reed gets suspended by the league one game for these repeated hits to opponents' heads. He appeals the suspension, and one day later, wins his appeal. The evidence didn't change, you know, no new information came to light, so why did the league not stand by its original punishment? That seems to be an issue here, especially because of how frequent Goodell and the league hands out these hefty suspensions and these hefty fines. 
You got to talk the talk and walk the walk. And Roger Goodell has not necessarily been walking the walk as of late, which I think in the long term could be a big, big problem for this league. But the fact still remains that Reed was originally suspended for repeated hits to opponents' heads. The fact remains that on a weekly basis, a plethora of players continue to be fined for illegal hits and the like. We see it here in New England. You know, a few weeks ago, it was Brandon Spikes. This past week, it might be Gerard Mayo. And the ex-Jock Brigade, of course, continues to be in an uproar over this, screaming about how the league is turning into touch football. Put flags on them. Put skirts on the quarterbacks. And my answer to the ex-Jock Brigade is, yep, mm -hmm, you're right. Yes, it is turning into touch football. Yes, you should put skirts on the quarterbacks. It's been that way for the past several years. And the league is not going back to a bygone era. If you don't adapt, you will die out. Or at least that's what I thought would happen before the league rescinded the suspension on Reed. Here's the thing. Coaches across the league need to change the way they coach their players to tackle. Players need to change the way they tackle. Adapt or die out. Adapt or continue to see the yellow flags rained upon thee. Each and every Sunday. Don't ever lead with your helmet. Don't do it. Don't hit the quarterback when you don't have to. The league, especially in the midst of this lawsuit by the ex-players, is not changing. It's not going to change until this lawsuit is settled. And all the concussion awareness stuff doesn't help matters either. The only way the league will eventually change and go back to that bygone era is if they make the NFL a waiver sport like the UFC makes all their combatants, combatants uh, sign a waiver. That's the only way it's going to change. And I think inevitably we'll have to head in that direction. Because as we're seeing, there is no consistent way to police this. And players and coaches don't seem to be getting the message, or at least as much as they should be, after several years of this. Eventually, the NFL is going to become a waiver sport. Like, UFC makes their combatants sign a waiver saying, you know, the Ultimate Fighting Championship is not responsible for any injuries or head injuries you may experience. You play at your own risk. The NFL is going to have to go that route. That's the only way that, that, that we're going to go back to some semblance of normalcy in the league. Uh, and we're going to go that way after this lawsuit is settled. I'm convinced of it. Um, but until that happens, flags are going to continue to be thrown. Fines will continue to be handed out. Suspensions will continue to be handed out. And maybe they'll be rescinded if you appeal it. But still, the league is serious about this. The game is not going back. It's not. So yeah, put skirts on the quarterbacks. Exactly, you're right. And that's the way it is. Stop screaming about it. You've lost the argument. The league is not going back to the way it once was. And I'll also argue in regards to the quarterbacks and protecting the quarterbacks... Ultimately, it's for the better. Look what happens when we have injured quarterbacks. We have Byron Leftwich on Sunday Night Football bouncing passes five yards in front of receivers. We have Jason Campbell on Monday Night Football handing it off to Matt Forte so he can run up the gut of the 49ers defense 35 times per game. Woo, that's fun. That was fun to see on Monday night. You like watching the elite quarterbacks as much as everybody else does. Watching Byron Leftwich short arm passes, watching Jason Campbell hand it off to Fort Tay 30 times a game is not fun. So ultimately, it's for the better. This overprotecting of the quarterbacks. 
ultimately it's for the better. It creates a better viewing experience. And eventually, I think we will go back to the bygone era. Once this lawsuit is settled with the ex-players who are suing the league, the NFL is going to become a waiver sport. It's the only way they can, it's the only way they can rid themselves of this. It's the only way. But until then, until then, don't lead with the helmet. Don't hit the quarterback if you don't have to. Don't even hit the quarterback above the belly button. Change the way you play. Or die out. It's as simple as that. The X-Jock Brigade has lost the argument. The league for now, until this lawsuit is settled, is not changing. Face it. tuning in to another edition of the Football Nation Today podcast hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer. As always, if you want to participate in the show, that is greatly encouraged. I love to know I am not just screaming into the abyss. Feel free to leave a comment on the show page on footballnation.com. Also, feel free to send me an email. My email address is areamer at bu.edu. Also, feel free to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter name is at alexreamer1. Cheap plug, Monday morning huddle. As another podcast offered here at footballnation.com, hosted by David Holcomb, a former guest of this fine program. I mention that because on Friday, Dave's coming out with a special edition of the Monday Morning Huddle Quarterback to recap the Thanksgiving Day games. I will be on to talk specifically about the Patriots and Jets game from this past Thursday night. So if you want more Reamer, didn't get your fill today, Wednesday, check back on the website, footballnation.com on Friday, and you will hear me on a special edition of Monday Morning Huddle. So long, everybody. Enjoy your extended weekend and enjoy your Thanksgiving tomorrow. We'll talk to you next on Football Nation Today, next Wednesday. So long and talk then. Enjoy Turkey Day. Talk next Wednesday.